Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. What about that? First John chapter 3, verse, uh, let's go 17. It says, but whoever has this world's goods, that's money, that's cash, that's vehicles, that's uh, homes, RVs, trailers. Whoever has this world's goods, it's clothes, all kinds of goods, and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? (laughs) My little children... Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now, I'm going to get into more of that assurance next week, actually. He, he's talking more about how can we assure our hearts before him. In other words, how can we know that we are Saved? How can we know we are children of God? So I'm going to get into that next week. But, but this week, part of that knowledge, part of that assurance is this right here. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Deed would be action. And so that's why I say any church that uh, names the name of Jesus needs to love in action, love in deed and in truth. Because uh, uh, essentially this is the love of God. He says, if you say that you love God, but you see somebody in need and you do not help them, specifically your brother. Now this talks about the, 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 the family of God. And this is going back to what he was talking about earlier in the chapter, that how you love the people of God says a lot about how you love God himself. And so he says, look, if you say that you love God, but then you have the ability to help somebody who is in need and you do not help them. He says, how can the love of God be in that person? So this is not necessarily a test of Christian character. This is an example of the love of God as it is seen when it abides in somebody. Does that make sense? So the love of God, if it is in you, it'll, it'll come through you. If it is in you, it'll, it'll pour out of you to those around you. And so what this, really, what this passage is really about, is this is about the love of God. So being a preacher, I have the three, three Ps of the love of God. That's my sermon title today, super in-depth. Three Ps of the love of God. Uh, first and foremost, it is practical. The love of God is practical. Secondly, it is purposeful. And finally, it is present. So the, the, the love of God is practical, purposeful, and present. Practical, what does it mean? It means, practical means it, 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 it deals with the practicalities of life. The love of God is practical. God is concerned not just with you feeling something in his presence, not just with you learning something in his presence, but he is concerned with your practical needs. Because his love is practical. Has anybody ever experienced the practical love of God before you? The, like, it's just, it's, it, he, he just, he knows when the bills are due. He knows when, wh- how much the, is owed on the credit card. He knows, he knows what's, what's, what's up with the grocery bill. He knows what's going on with the house payment. And he is concerned with that. And I don't think you have to be a prosperity preacher 
to say that God's love is very practical. It works in and through our lives, not just within a church setting, right? Not just with a choir and with a band and with a preacher. God's love is practical. Some, sometimes the greatest demonstration of his love that you're ever going to feel is not in a worship setting or a worship service, but it's going to be when he comes through for you in the Monday through Saturday, when he comes through for you in practical ways. Uh, we've experienced the practical love of God. And let me tell you, it, it, if, it, if it was just the esoteric love of God or if it was just the, the, the conceptual love of God, I don't know that I, would, that I would be following him because it is his practical love that shows that he knows me through the week and he knows me when I wake up and when I go to sleep and when I rise and when I walk. Like, the, the Psalms are full of worship for the practical love of God. The practice, Jesus was very practical. In fact, in the, throughout the Gospels, as he's ministering, he's, he's feeding people. What's that? That's practical love. Now, he's teaching them, sure. He's preaching to them, absolutely. But two different times in the Gospels, once to a group of 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and once to a group of 4,000 men, not counting women and children, enlisted in every one of the Gospels is this miracle where he feeds people. Why is it so important that the Gospels teach that God feeds people? Because his love is practical. He knows what you need, and he, he, he knows how to put food on the table. And he cares about that. He cares about practical needs. And by the way, practical needs are different for different economic statuses, okay? And it, it, it's like, well, okay, once I reach this level, then he doesn't care about my practical needs anymore. No, he still cares about your practical needs because he wants, it's never about the need. So it's never just about making sure you have a car to drive because Lord knows you don't have to have a car to live. It's not just making sure you have a cell phone because you don't have to have a cell phone to live. It is about him demonstrating his love to us in ways that practically make sense to us so even just over over Christmas we wanted to get a certain thing for one of our kids and that certain thing had gone through the roof in all of the prices and it's sort of like housing right now and it was just really hard to find and once you found it it was hard to get and so we we so Ro, Ro and I were talking about that and I said well we could pray about it and Ro said well that's kind of silly to pray about that because that's not a need, right? It's silly. Our kids don't need that toy. Um, we don't need to buy it. It's just, it's, just, it's just a desire. And I said, look, if it's on our mind, I believe it's on God's heart. And I believe that we can just throw that out to him. I'm not saying he has to do it or I'm going to, you know, throw a fit and leave God and quit the ministry. It's like, ah, God didn't come through for me in December of 2020. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, it's like, no, but, but it, like, if, 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 if I'm going to practice what I preach... And if I believe that God is a practical God, and if he practically wants to reveal himself to me in ways that practically make sense to me, then, then this toy is a practical thing I'd like to be able to get for my kids. So I just said, God, hey, I'd like to find this. And then like a week later, like we found it. And so I met some guy in a sketchy Walmart parking lot late at night. We, we did the drug deal and it was good, you know. And, 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 and God is faithful to practically meet our needs. <laughs> it wasn't a literal drug deal. It just felt like a drug deal, okay? I wasn't getting my kids drugs. It is Austin, so I need to define that. It felt like a drug deal, okay? Not that I've ever been a part of one, but anyway, the movies and stuff, you know, I mean, anywho. <laughs> no, but the, the, the world offers, this is what the world offers. This is what Satan offers, is you to have your practical needs met. And what we often forget is that God is a God who wants to meet our practical needs. 
He is a practical God, which means his church ought to be a practical people. We ought to be meeting practical needs of our community. In fact, if the, if, you, if, if the church goes away and the community doesn't notice, something was wrong with that church. Because when Jesus left the community, they, they noticed. No more free lunches at, the, at the, the, the preaching conferences. No more healing. Like Jesus would walk into a community, he'd start healing people. And you say, well, why is he healing people? Right? They're just going to die anyway. From the, from, from the perspective of eternity, really, is a few more years that big of a difference? No, from the perspective of eternity, it's not. But Jesus sees their needs. They feel sick, and they don't want to hear the gospel when they feel sick. So he touches them and heals them to present his love to them. He's always doing this. He's having compassion on people all the time. Not spiritual compassion. Not like, well, I feel that you are not right with the Lord. That's not the kind of compassion he's having. He's not handing out tracts, you know, are you going to go to heaven or hell when you die? He's not, he's not, even though those are very legit questions and very serious concerns, he holds back the more important concern for our lesser concern of health, of food, of finances, which tells me that if we then, 2,000 years later, turn the gospel all about something that only happens in here and does not affect this, what you wear, what you, what, what you live in, what you drive, how you access these things. If, if we only have a God who, who is confined to making us feel better and not actually practically benefiting our lives, we've cut Jesus, we've cut not, at least half of his ministry out. And we said, well, it's just time to hear the gospel now and get saved. Well, lovely, but that's part of it. But another part is this God who's going to walk with me through all of my trials and all of my difficulty and actually provide for me, actually provide practically for me. There's a story that I think demonstrates the love of God in 1 Kings chapter 17, which I believe is actually a very uh, important story, not just to the Old Testament, but to the New Testament as well. And it's a story about Elijah, one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament. And Elijah is by a brook in verse 7 of, second, of 1 Kings 17. It says, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed the widow there to supply you with food. Now think about that for just a minute. God's, God's leading this prophet. There's a famine in the land. God has told the prophet to go to this brook where he would provide food for him. And literally birds just came and just fell there. And he made a little fire and he, he had pheasant for a while. I don't know what, I don't know how you eat bird, but anyway, he's, he's, he's having bird lunches, bird breakfast, bird, he's getting fish from the, from, from, from the river. Well then, because there's no rain, the river dries up. And before the prophet can even say, God, I'm hungry. Did you know you have, Jesus said, you have a heavenly father who knows what you need before you ask him. And he's talking about practical stuff. He's talking about your food. He's talking about what you wear. In fact, he said, look, if, if, if he clothes the lilies of the field, will he not much more clothe you? Will he not make sure you have something to wear? And, and, he, and he clothes them actually very well, Jesus said. By the way, they're not just, they're not just wearing like the Walmart knockoffs. 
He's clothing them. He said, even Solomon wasn't dressed as good as the lilies are dressed. When God decides to provide for you, he knows how to do it in your favorite color. He knows how to do it in the right size so it's not too big or too short. He he knows how to bless you. And in this case, the prophet is hungry and he hasn't prayed about it yet. God comes into him and he says, okay, I know you're hungry and I've already provided somebody to feed you. Could it be that even while your stomach is growling, God is providing a way for you to be fed? And, 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 and it's just it's interesting to me that, that the prophet, he, he experiences the practical love of God right here. The love of God comes to him and says, look, I know you're hungry and I've provided a lady to feed you. In verse 10, so he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Okay, so he comes to the place and he calls to her and he asks her, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. Now verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself. By a meal, she means like a pancake, a small pancake for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you've said, but first make a small bit of that bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour that you have that you talked about will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And this is a miracle that happens. She responds in obedience to this. She goes and makes some bread. She gives the first portion to him. He eats it. She goes to make more bread and there's more oil in the jar and there's more flour in the jar. And, the, and literally for a few years, he stays with her, lives with her, and God every day is providing more oil and more flour. Why? Because he's a God of practical needs. He's a God who wants to meet our practical needs. His love is practical. It comes into our life in ways that lets us know that he sees us, that he knows what we need, and that he has the answer for what we need. Man, so many times I've seen, I've, I've seen, we've seen God do this. Um, we, we, when we first moved to Texas, uh, for instance, I had $40,000 worth of school debt from Bible college. Uh, that's 465 bucks a month to Sally Mae. And uh, we, we got on real good terms with Sally Mae. And so we're, we're writing $465 for a pastor's, like, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what the, what the spectrum here is, but like, I don't even make $40,000 in a year. You know what I'm saying? So I was just, I was going into a degree that, does, that, doesn't, that doesn't get a lot of money being a pastor, but yet they still charge you a lot for Bible college. And I went to a cheap Bible college, right? I was frugal. But anyway, so you, we went to a cheap Bible college, walked out with $40,000 debt. We moved down here, didn't have a job. We were just volunteering for a ministry. We got free housing because we were living on site. And so instead of paying rent, we paid Sally Mae. So we were faithful to make our payments. We were doing what we can. And then we we felt like God was leading us off of that ministry to move off of that ministry and get our own house. And so uh, we had a small job. I would have like a part-time job at a church. And so we could get a loan for 75, I think it was $75,000. Yeah, that's not going to buy much in San Marcos or anywhere around here. Um, and this is, I guess this is 10, 12 years ago. So it could buy, it could buy like a shack 
in a really bad part of town that uh, had been used to rent to college students, and it was nasty. And so we checked out a couple of, you know, one, two-bedroom shacks, and we're like, man, I don't know that we can, I want to leave Roe home alone in this area. And so we were just praying about it, and then suddenly this house opened up that had been foreclosed on, and it was in a nice neighborhood, and uh, we offered what we could offer, and they accepted. Now, we found out later, so we fixed it up, and this is something that we've always done as, as a married couple. We've, we've worked on houses on the side, because ministry doesn't pay that much, so we've, we've bought houses, fixed them up. My parents usually help. My family comes in. They, they help us demo stuff and fix stuff up, and we live in it for a while, and then we sell it, and we make, we make some profit, and we roll it into the next house. So that's what we were planning on doing. So we get this house. We're like, man, we can't believe we could afford this house. We, we fix it up as best as we can, and then we live in it for a couple of years, and then we go to sell it, and that's when we found out the reason why it was so cheap is because the foundation was broken. Um, that's right. It was on the east side of 35, which is kind of what happens with slab foundations. And um, now we, we had been told the foundation wasn't broken. Turns out our inspector said it wasn't. And now when we went to sell it, their inspector said that it was. Their inspector had a bunch of digital gadgets and stuff our guy didn't have. We had a good old boy from Texas who was like, yeah, it looks good to me. And we're like, sweet. And so that's kind of how that worked. Turns out, and so, so we're trying to sell this house now and we can't sell it because it has a broken foundation. Um, you know, unless we drop the price big time and all this kind of stuff. And so we began praying and we're like, I don't know what to do. Uh, and, and we were in church, like the next week we were hanging out in church. We were talking to somebody in church. We had a conversation with somebody who said, hey, have you ever heard about, uh, it's like, I think it's called a home warranty, a builder's home warranty, where in Texas, every builder has to warranty their foundation, guarantee their foundation and their, their roof for 10 years, regardless of who, of who owns the house. Uh, and we were like, oh, we never heard of that. So we went, did, did a little Googling, found out who our builders were. Turns out we were three months away from the deadline uh, of the 10-year deadline. So we applied. Let me tell you something. That was a good Sunday. I mean, I don't remember what the preacher preached on. I don't remember what the worship singers sang about. But I remember that conversation in the lobby. There is... There's, there's some, convert, there's some ways in which God works that is not in the sanctuary. And we don't give him credit for that. Oftentimes, we're like, oh, well, I'm so glad I was so smart and I figured that out. No, I didn't figure that out. I had a conversation with somebody else. Like, like whoever has this world's goods and shuts up their heart against, it's not just money. Sometimes it's, it's, it's understanding. Sometimes it's a conversation that you have with a young Rowena and Harry, and we're like, oh, wow, we didn't know that. And, and, and the, the knowledge of that opens up the way for us to be able to get our house fixed for free. Like it's, yeah, that, which is why you need to come to church every Sunday because you never know. It might be the sermon, it might be the songs, and it might be a conversation after church that you have with somebody and they share something with you that you never knew and that opens up the door for you. And I don't just mean spiritually, I mean practically. I mean, he knew, like, because he, he knows what is on your mind when you go to bed. He knows what's bugging you when you wake up in the morning. He knows what you think about throughout the day and he's not offended if it's not all spiritual. Because sometimes physical stuff can affect you spiritually. Sometimes money pressure can affect you spiritually and affect your mood. Sometimes sickness can affect your spirituality. And so God wants to love you practically. Man, I don't know. I, I know I had three points, but this is my problem. I preach each point so darn long. But it's, I, I, just, I just sense that this is not a way in which you have perceived God sometimes. 
I, I, I sense that one of the most obvious ways that he loves us has not been emphasized obviously in churches for very long and 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 so it's almost kind of like is this is this heresy is he, is he preaching heresy is this prosperity gospel is he going to get me a ferrari now god wants me to have a ferrari <laughs> do you want a ferrari i don't know is that going to help you uh i mean you know, but god knows what you need before you ask him in fact i don't know this isn't my altar call but what if we just asked him right now because sometimes I think people are in worship. I, I kind of get the vibe that sometimes like we're up here doing our thing, which is usually pretty darn good. And then, <laughs> just saying. And then you guys are out here. And I think sometimes there's a disconnect because sometimes what we're singing about up here is not necessarily what you're thinking about yeah. out here. Yeah. And sometimes people feel guilty for that. And they think, oh, I'm thinking about uh, the groceries and how we're going to get groceries this, this month. Right? And I, and I, well, I shouldn't be thinking about it. I should be thinking about, you know, the, there's another in the fire. Well, have you ever thought about the fact that that is what we're singing about? Yes. <laughs> so have you ever thought that maybe your practical needs is not carnal? It's not sinful? Maybe, maybe God's been waiting all week for you to get quiet enough to get in his presence so you could bring that very concern to him. And say, God, how are we going to get groceries this, this month? Because he, like, he can give you ideas. Like, uh, through the pandemic, I've started working on my car, <laughs> and I preach about it sometimes. And, and, and it's interesting because I'm not a mechanic, so I, I, I do the YouTube university thing. And so what happens is YouTube is a liar. That's what that is. It's fake news. Those guys, they're like, oh, you just, you just unbolt this and pull this and tweak that. And no, 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 no. Number one, that bolt doesn't just unbolt. Like, it just, like, it, it won't move. It doesn't move. And all 128 pounds of me are, are pulling on that thing. And, and, like, it just doesn't. And so sometimes, like, Corey knows. He's there with me half the time. And it's like, this said, like, the guy in the video did it like this. And it doesn't work that way. And so I'll, I'll just stop and I'll just say, God, do you have any ideas? I don't have any ideas. I don't know what to do. And then I'll, and sometimes, I think three different times this happened. I've just had an idea. I was like, what if we tried it this way? The same, same thing at the house after Snowmageddon and like several pipes froze at our, at our, at our, on our farm and the different buildings that we have. I just, God, I, I, I don't know. You know, can, can, can you give me an idea? And, and, and he'll, he'll give, because his, he wants to show his love practically to us. This is the love of God. It's this, this scripture in 1 John is not just to, meant to condemn Christians. Like, well, you better help homeless people. It's not to condemn Christians. It is to explain to Christians that the love of God helps homeless people. The love of God helps you in your practical needs. And so if you are being helped in your practical needs, you can then help others in their practical needs. So this isn't just piling on the condemnation on Christians. Well, you better be nice to people. No, when you receive the love of God, you realize that he knows about your practical needs, what you wear and what you eat and where you live and what you drive. And he understands that. And he wants to show himself powerful in those moments. So I don't know, what if, what if we just ask him right now? You, you, if you're watching from home, you might need to close your eyes so that you don't see random stuff. If you're here in the room, you don't have to close your eyes, but you can. And just simply say, Holy Spirit, just th that thing, that, that practical need that you have, it might be literally, you know, money, gas, food, that kind of thing. It might also be housing. It might also be a relationship. 
It might also be uh, uh, opportunity. It might be schooling. It might be work. That thing that, that, that has been bugging you, would you bring it to him and just say, Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? Holy Spirit, do you have any ideas? Holy Spirit, would you give me an idea of how to deal with this? Here's another good question. Holy Spirit, is there any person I should talk to about this? Have you put the idea in somebody else's lips and I'm, I just haven't asked the questions? Like me and Rowena talking to somebody after church. Holy Spirit, is there somebody I need to ask about this? Do you want to use somebody else to give me the answer? Now, if you get any names or any ideas, just write it down. Okay, after church, we're going to look into that. We're going to try that. We're going to try it this way. Amen. That's it. That's your prayer. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be super spiritual. It can be very practical. He wants to give you ideas. He wants to give you uh, uh, ways. Uh, scripture says that he's the one who, who gives us the ability to make wealth. He wants to give you ideas about your savings. He wants to give you ideas about credit cards. Which ones to use, which ones not to use, and how to use it. He wants to give you wisdom. <laughs> Amen. Amen, Jonathan. Shout me down. I, I appreciate it. All right, so the love of God is practical. We're not going to get through all of them. It's, 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 it's purposeful. I think I've kind of been touching on that. His purpose is to reveal his love to you. His purpose is to reveal, his purpose in the practical help is to reveal his love for you. So it's always bigger than you. It's bigger than the need. It's bigger than the issue. Um, for instance, this, the, the, the woman that, I, that Elijah would go to, right? God is concerned about Elijah's need, but it's bigger than Elijah's need because Elijah doesn't realize it at the time, but the woman also has a need. She's about to die with her son. So God is actually, he's sending Elijah to a place where his need will be met. But he's sending him to a place where he will bless somebody else. So it's always his love is purposeful, which is why it's not indiscriminate, which is why when we read passages like this, sometimes we're like, oh, no, I drove past a homeless person. I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I didn't empty my bank account and give it all to him. Well, you probably shouldn't do that because it's purposeful. In fact, there were several widows in Israel at that time, and Elijah didn't go to any of them. Because why? He's listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told him exactly where to go. He went exactly where the Holy Spirit told him to go and there was somebody there. It's the love of God is purposeful. In other words, the way that he wants you to help is not just indiscriminate. Not, it's not just doing every possible thing you can. Otherwise, you'll get burned out. You'll get broke and burned out real quick. <laughs> so it's not just, I'm going to do everything. Because even God doesn't do everything. He knows that you have needs and yet you're sitting here right now and you have a need that you just brought to him. Hmm. Why didn't he fix that yesterday? Well, one, you didn't ask. <laughs> but two, he uses needs to display his love. So sometimes it's about dealing with the need and solving it, but sometimes it's about a process that a person may be in, that you may be in, that I may be in, that he wants us to rely on him 
in the process before he meets the need. Perfect example is when Jesus quotes this story, the story of Elijah. Uh, the story where uh, uh, Elijah feeds, uh, goes to the widow in Zarephath. Jesus quotes this story in his first sermon. In Jesus' first sermon that he ever preached in Luke chapter 4, I think we have it up to put it on the screen. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is coming out of uh, the desert where he's been tempted by Satan and he's coming out on fire. He is ready to go. And uh, he goes to church and they hand him the, uh, the, the scroll. So he goes to Nazareth. So it's Nazareth is where he grew up. And back in those days, each little town would have their own synagogue, which was like a little miniature temple. And that's where they would go on the Sabbath and they would read from the Torah. And so they hand Jesus in verse 16 of, of Luke chapter 4, it says, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And this is what he chose for his first sermon in the text. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them. Now look, he began saying to him. Today, he said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, and all of them spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? So what's happening? Jesus presents his first sermon. And remember, the love of God is practical, but it's also purposeful. His first sermon, he presents it, and he, and he says some amazing, some wonderful things, right? He says... He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So Jesus is the love of God, right? He is, God is love. Jesus is the personification of the love of God. He steps into that room. Surely, just like there are needs in this room, there are needs in that room. Surely somebody had some kind of need. They all weren't walking on water. I know that. And so he stands up and he presents to them. He says, he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Anywhere you have the love of God, you're going to have the Spirit of God and you're going to have the anointing of God. But then there's also some other really good things. If we could go back to that previous passage, there's some really good things that he says that, that I have. He says, I have the, the anointing of God. And he, he says he has sent me, yeah, to proclaim freedom. So any place the love of God is, there is freedom. Where the love of God is displayed, there is freedom. And also there is recovery of sight. In other words, there is fresh vision. When you encounter the love of God, there's fresh vision that comes into your life. That's kind of what I was asking you to ask him. Give me a fresh perspective on things. Because when, the, when you encounter the love of God, he gives us freedom. He gives us fresh vision. And then he says to set free the ones who are oppressed. In other words, there is a, a, a breaking of oppression 
also. So there's freedom, there is, there is recovery of sight, there's fresh vision, there is a breaking of oppression, and to proclaim, he says, the year of the Lord's favor. There's the favor of God. Wherever the love of God is displayed, you have the spirit of God, you have the anointing of God, you have the freedom of God, you have the vision of God, you have the freedom from oppression or the liberty of God, and you have the favor of God. Yeah, there's six things, six things that he lays out for them. And six is the number of man, because man needs all of those things. And he stands up and he, and he, and he says this, and then he goes and sits down. But he's not done preaching, because it says, and then he began to say to them. So he's starting, this is the, that's just the introduction. <laughs> so kind of like, like a preacher, it's like, oh, he's done. Nope, he's still going. He sits down. And he says, he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's the beginning of his sermon. He began to say, but they interrupted him. If we, if we, if we can go on to verse 23, they interrupt him in verse 20, 23 or, or verse 22. It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious lips that came from his uh, gracious, gracious words. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, he sits down and he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the anointed one is here. Freedom is here. Liberty is here. Fresh vision is here. Right? Freedom from oppression is here. The Lord's favor is here. And then he sits down and they, they are so enamored with his message. See, look, it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. You know, if, if, if after today, in the next 10 minutes, if we end today's meeting and you guys go out and you all speak well of Pastor Harry, and are amazed at the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. I would say I did pretty good. I'd be like, yeah, I, I guess I'm getting this preaching thing down. I guess I don't have to turn into a mechanic after all. I can, I can, keep, I can keep doing it, right? You know, it's like, it, it, I mean, because this is a compliment. They are in, they, they, they're like, my goodness, I didn't even know this, this guy could read that well. And now he's like, <laughs> like, like he said that with such passion and such authority and like eye contact. It's almost like he wrote it. He hardly even read it. He just traced his finger while he looked at us. And it's like, wow, he's a great preacher. I want him to do my funeral. Come on, somebody. I, like, can we get, can I book him in? I mean, this guy is good. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't take the compliment. Because he was, true love is not there for a compliment. The love of God is not looking to be recognized. It is not looking to be recognized, but it's looking to be received. And this is the problem. They were so impressed with his presentation. They even believed him. Because they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph's son, notice not Mary's son, Joseph's son. So there was no scandal here, even though he was born kind of sketchy. But it's Joseph's son. So they're like, this guy's legit. He's like, he really is the anointed one. Oh my goodness. Like he really, wow. This, this is amazing. It's going to put us on the map. Like, wow. They, they recognized him, but they did not receive him. You say, well, it sounds kind of like they received him. No. You're, you're too used to 21st century American culture where if somebody is nice to you, you think that's love. 
Where if somebody compliments you, you think that's receiving you. Look, it, essentially, Jesus sits down and, and, and they, they interrupt him because they're so amazed by him. They're, they're whispering among themselves. They're like, oh my goodness. So Jesus says to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. This is something that was said to him uh, at the cross. You will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. See, he didn't want to be recognized. He wanted to be received. And he says, you people aren't receiving me. Why not? Well, this story right here. He says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. In other words, what, what he's saying right there is that you all are starving widows. <laughs> you are starving widows. Now they get really ticked off by the way, and they try to kill him at the end of the story. Uh, it didn't go so well. Started off really well. They are full of compliments. But then he said, no, 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 you don't get it. You are the oppressed. You are the blind. You are the, 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 the ones that are trapped. See, within the declaration were some six wonderful promises. But within those six wonderful promises are also six hard to accept facts. <laughs> he came to, to give freedom to who? Everybody? No. Just to the captives. He came to give recovery of sight to everybody? No. Just to those who are blind. He came to give, to, 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 to give liberty to everybody? No. Just to those who are oppressed. And they're responding as if they are people who are not, don't fit any of those descriptions. So the love of God is practical, but it's also purposeful. And in that purpose, you can only receive it through humility. They, 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 they were, it's, it's, it's almost like you're starving. You've been 40 days without food. And somebody comes up to you and says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to give you this pizza. And you say, wow, that's a really great speech. That is something else. You know what? I'm coming back next week because I want to hear the rest of that. That's awesome. See you next week, Pastor. Well, uh, this, that, no, it's the pizza. <laughs> it wasn't the speech. I'm here to meet your need. Oh, that's great. As soon as I get a need, I will call on you. Absolutely. I know right where to find you. As soon as, as, soon as something happens in my life where I suddenly need God, I know where he is. I, I'm, oh, yeah. Well, you, uh, hmm. <laughs> how do I explain this? You are starving widows. We are starving widows. That's why the church is not for people who think they're better than everybody else. The church is for people who recognize that they are blind, that they are oppressed, and that they are captive. Because you, you have to align yourself with that in order to receive anything from him. And he says, man, I wish you knew what you were. But there was no, could it be? This, this is what's interesting. God told Elijah that he had prepared a woman 
to feed him. Remember that? Remember that part? He said, I've prepared a woman to feed you. I've, I've always thought that was funny because the prepared woman has literally hardly anything. <laughs> he does such a good job of preparing people, right? It's like, wow, uh, I thought she'd be prepared. <laughs> he says, I've prepared a woman to feed you. He shows up. The woman has next to nothing left. Maybe the way God prepares us is by getting, helping us get rid of all the other nonsense that we had been relying on. <laughs> getting us to a place where we have next to nothing. Not nothing, but next to nothing. All we have left is him. Maybe, maybe the way that he prepares people is by getting them to a place where they realize they need him. Because you know what? She's the only one out looking for sticks. The rest of the widows in Israel, they're home in their house. They may be starving, but darn it, they look pretty good. They may be starving, but they're not going to be desperate. They may be starving, but they're not going to be public about it. They may be starving, but they're not going to share their business. They may be starving, but they're not going to let anybody know. They may be starving, but they're going to stay in their house, pretend like they are full. And there was one lady who was out collecting sticks. And Elijah said, that's the one that God's been preparing because preparation isn't, isn't always a stockpiling of resources. Sometimes it's a breaking down of pride to get us to a place where we're ready to receive the thing we really need, which is the love of God. <laughs> so I, I just, I, if you're watching right now, if you're in the house, I just want to offer that to you right now. Would you close your eyes? And, and if you're sensing that God's been preparing you <laughs> and you thought you were just, you thought you were just starving, you thought you were just losing everything. But if you're sensing that God's been preparing you and priming you for his love, getting rid of all these false loves and all these fake things, which really don't survive a pandemic, but he's, he's offering something to you that not only survives a pandemic, but lasts forever, which is his love. I would, I would encourage you, don't be like the guys in Jesus' sermon don't just sit back and say, that's a good speech. I like, I like his style. I like, that. I like, I like their singing. That's, that's good. No, his love's not looking for compliments. It's not looking to be recognized. It's looking to be received. So the question is not, do you like it? The question is, do you need? Do you need it? Do you need his love? And if you need his love, it's as simple as just opening up your heart to him and saying, God, I need your love in my life. I need your freedom in my bondage. I need your uh, sight in my blindness. I need your bread in my starvation. I need you, Lord. I need your love. Father, I pray right now that people would decide and choose to turn away from their pride and receive the love of God. Yeah, but what about the church? They seem like a bunch of hypocrites. Well, okay, <laughs> we can talk about that later. But the love of God is not hypocritical. The love of God is in action and in truth. He will actively show you that he is real. He will actively, even if he has to drop dimes in your life, he will actively show you that he is real. He will actively show you that, practically show you that he cares for you. And he will truthfully deal with you. Not based in hypocrisy, but based in truth. He will truthfully convict you sometimes and encourage you other times. He will truthfully walk with you. He will truthfully show you the way. He's not in a hurry. He's not in a rush. But he is presenting his love to you. 
for you to receive it. And so if you want to receive it, just simply say, God, I receive your love today. I receive your love today. I choose to receive your love. I choose to be humble about my condition. I choose to be honest, actually, about my condition, which is humility. I choose to, to, to confess that I need you and that I need you in my life. And so why don't you just, why don't you just ask him, Lord, show yourself to me. Make yourself real to me. Make your love real to me. In Jesus' name.